man, usually you would be able to tell if someone was, you know, something would have broke, you know, to keep that up like that. Oh no. They had me fooled that if, if that was the case, if that just happened. trial, I have one shot and one opportunity to be not guilty or I go to prison in death row. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the reality of it. We have busted alibis. We have caught people in lies. This is just insane because everybody's pointing the finger at somebody else. You just don't hear every day walking in somebody's house, they're going to take the plastic out and pop somebody. So he could get the execution date pretty much any day? Yeah. There's no impediment. This is Cousins by Blood. Episode 34, The Night. Dallas was a crazy... I mean, it probably still is, it's Dallas, but... Yeah, it was like nonstop. There were parties everywhere. There's always somewhere to be. There was always, you know, after the bars closed, there's an after party. There's a this party. There's a, I mean, it just, it was nonstop. Three o six a.m. James Muscat's black Corvette convertible was heading south on Dallas North Tollway. It just passed Trinity Mills Road. We know that because of a toll tag hit. Ivan and Amy Betcher were inside, heading to Club 7, one of the hottest after-hours clubs. It was in Deep Ellum, right near the heart of Dallas. They had just come from James and Amy Kitchen's house. But were James and Amy Kitchen already dead? Had Amy Betcher just walked through the crime scene at gunpoint from Ivan? Or had Amy Kitchen just handed Ivan James Corvette keys? Either way, there was a ring on Amy Betcher's finger, and Ivan was behind the wheel of his cousin's new Corvette. That was 3 a.m. Let's rewind to about five hours earlier. Last episode, you heard Melanie's account of the moments right before Ivan's midnight visit to James' house. This episode, for the first time, we're going to overlap Amy's timeline with Ivan's timeline. And through toll tag hits and witness interviews, we'll retrace their steps and do a deep dive into the main hours in question. That Friday night that spilt over into the morning of Saturday. To finally see as much of the picture as possible. 
So around 10 p.m. that Friday evening, as Ivan and Amy were getting ready for a night on the town, and Melanie had just popped by their apartment to drop off paperwork for a home loan. About 20 miles south, James and Amy Kitchen were finishing up dinner with Amy Kitchen's father at El Ranchito, a Mexican restaurant in Oak Cliff. They said their goodbyes for the evening, and James and Amy Kitchen got in the Corvette to head home. With the diamond platinum engagement ring on Amy Kitchen's finger and James behind the wheel, at 10.18 p.m., there was a toll tag hit on James Corvette. James and Amy Kitchen had just passed Lemon Avenue, coming up the North Dallas Tollway. At 10.29 p.m., another toll tag hit. They just passed Arapahoe Road. That location was about six minutes from their residence. So if James and Amy went straight home after that toll tag hit, that puts them back at their house right about 10.35 p.m. Meanwhile, back at Ivan and Amy's apartment, they were finishing up getting ready. Amy testified that Melanie dropped off some cigarettes and then left about 11 p.m. Both Ivan and Amy agreed that Ivan called James right about 11.20 p.m. So about 45 minutes after James and Amy Kitchen would have gotten back home from dinner. Amy said, He made a phone call to James saying he needed to talk to him. Ivan stated, now I have to go kill James and Amy. Ivan left our apartment. However, Ivan said, So I called James. I finally got him on the phone. And as I explained the situation regarding Matt, the pizza man, he immediately just said, come over. So I drove over to James's house on Gibbons. It was about a five minute drive. And while I've referred to it as the midnight visit, by all accounts, this visit would have happened from roughly 11.30 p.m. to shortly after midnight. Now, one thing that Ivan didn't put in his statement, but told me, was what James and Amy Kitchen were wearing during this visit. He said they were wearing the same clothes that it looks like they're wearing in the crime scene photos. James was wearing a gray t-shirt and red boxer shorts and Amy was wearing a gray t-shirt and dark lounge shorts. Ivan quickly commented, it wasn't weird that James was wearing boxer shorts because they were cousins and they grew up together and their attire looked like they had just taken off their clothes from their night out, which he said wasn't anything out of the ordinary since they all lived together for a while. Ivan and James had an apartment together in 1997 and Amy Kitchen moved in as well. So, about three years before the murders. But even still, it was eerie hearing Ivan say, when he went over that night, they were wearing what they would later be found murdered in. When I got there and the front door opened, both of them were kind of standing in the foyer. Once entered the house, Amy Kay went back to whatever she was doing in the kitchen. 
James and I discussed everything that happened with Matt the Pizza Man. We primarily talked in the living room, but periodically he would go to the bedroom. At some point in time, I realized that Amy Kay was talking to her mother on the phone. However, I don't know if Amy Kay was already on the phone when I got there or if the call developed after my arrival. Amy Kitchen's mom testified at trial that she was talking to her daughter over the phone at approximately 11.25 p.m. that evening. She talked to Amy for about 10 minutes. She said that Amy was at home with James and made plans for the following day. But she also said she wasn't aware of anyone else being at the house and didn't hear anyone in the background. But Ivan puts himself there during that call. When speaking to James, he said that he knew a couple of different mats. I described what Matt the Pizza Guy looked like, but James didn't confirm whether or not he knew him. Based on James's reaction and our conversation, he believed me. I explained what Matt the Pizza Man said regarding the money that was owed and asked why he thought I was returning to the mortgage company to help close loans. Around midnight, James asked me for a favor. He asked if I would please leave the Honda Accord out front of his house to portray that he was having company for the evening. At first, I really didn't want to do it because Amy B. and I had planned to go out for the evening, then sometime in the morning to leave for a planned trip to Arkansas. I asked James if it was absolutely necessary, and he said yes, because he owed someone a lot of money. I began to ask James several questions as to what the hell is going on, but he wouldn't necessarily tell me anything. My suggestion was for him and Amy Kay to leave the house and go stay at a hotel. There are several hotels off of the tollway that offer security. As I mentioned this, he kind of just brushed it off, as if no one was going to scare him away from his house. Again, James asked to please leave the Honda Accord out front and use Amy Kay's car until the morning. Finally, I agreed, but I would only do it until the morning because Amy B and I were leaving for Arkansas. At this time, I leave in the Honda Accord spare key, along with the Accord parked out front, and I leave in Amy Kay's Mercedes. And this is what Ivan said happened after the midnight visit. On my way back to the Pear Ridge apartment, I noticed that the Mercedes was low on fuel, so I stopped by the Texaco gas station at the northeast corner of Frankfurt and the North Dallas Tollway. After getting gas, I then went to Albertson's grocery store located on the same corner for a few items. Shortly after midnight, I get to the apartment from Albertson's. When I get to the apartment, Amy B. is still getting ready. And this is what Amy said in her statement when Ivan got back home. He returned home at 12.18 a.m. by our clock. Ivan had blood on his jeans, his socks, on his gun. The gun was jammed. He stated, this is my favorite gun. He also had doctor gloves on. Clearly, if Amy was telling the truth, Ivan never stopped at Texaco or Albertsons with blood all over him, wearing latex doctor's gloves. Ivan was wearing James' shoes and shirt. Ivan had James' wallet and Amy's ID. He said he had to keep them. And three sets of keys of James and Amy's. 
He put them somewhere. Ivan had blood in his hair, so he showered. Ivan ate some mushrooms, the drug type. Ivan said, let's go kick it at seven. It's a nightclub. He said he had to go there. So we left his apartment and went to Smiley's house. And this is what Ivan said happened once he got back home. When I get to the apartment, Amy B is still getting ready. After about 30 minutes, Amy B is finally ready to go. She is wearing a white slash light colored top, light blue, baby blue, capri pants, and a pair of spaghetti strap heels. Sometime before 1 a.m., we leave the apartment and go to Smiley's house. Which lines up because at 12.59 a.m., there was a toll tag hit on Amy Kitchen's Mercedes heading east on George Bush Turnpike towards Smiley's apartment. Before going out for the evening, we went by Smiley's to pick up a little bit of ecstasy and coke. While en route to Smiley's place, I decided to call him so that he could keep the apartment phone line clear. Otherwise, if someone was using his phone while I approached the security gate, they wouldn't be able to buzz me into the complex off of Legacy Drive. I wanted to call him to ensure that his apartment phone line was clear. This way, I could get into the complex without traffic backing up at the gate. When I tried to call him, I then realized that I left my cell phone at the Pear Ridge apartment. But Amy will later say that Ivan left his cell phone at James and Amy's house, not their apartment. While continuing towards Smiley's, I noticed that Amy K's Mercedes has one of their burner phones in it. I called Smiley, but I can't remember whether or not I spoke to him. I wanted to reiterate keeping the apartment phone line clear so that I wouldn't have to wait at the security gate very long. Because it always seemed as if someone was on the phone not realizing how to press the correct button to clear someone through the security gate. Shortly after 1 a.m., about 1.15 a.m., we arrived at Smiley's place. We socialize for about 20 to 30 minutes and get a little bit of ecstasy and coke from Smiley. And this is what Smiley remembers from that night. But first things first, I had to know, how did he get the name Smiley? And apparently it happened at a rodeo when he was riding a bull. Got the nickname Smiley, got knocked out at a bull riding. And uh, he knocked me out, but my buddy yanked me over the top of the bucket. shoes, man. And I'm talking about he's, he's about to whoop me because he's pissed because I just stood there like a dummy in the rain about to get run over. And then he realized I was knocked out. And he said, God dang, he said, you're fucking knocked out, ain't you? He said, God dang, he said, I ain't never seen nobody smiling when they get knocked out. So from that day on, man, everybody got me smiley. Smiley is a character. Ivan said they only met him through the club scene a few months prior to the murders. Like I said, I've seen, I was riding bulls for a living when I, when I first met Ivan and him. I didn't even, I had never even been around that kind, that kind of environment. I, I rodeoed for a living and I had a free place to live. And my buddy called me and he lost his roommate and he's paying 1600 a month, asked me if I'd move in with him. So I just moved in to help him out. And next thing I know, I mean, I'm doing stuff I ain't supposed to be doing. And then how did you meet Ivan and them? A buddy of mine and his wife, my Lance Tackleman, he's passed on now, both of them are. He's a pro football player, he played college football at A&M. You'll remember Lance Tackleman. He testified at Ivan's trial during the punishment phase. He connected Ivan to Gambino. Yeah, Ivan was saying something about that, about those guys too, because he passed on, what, a few years yeah, after Ivan? Yeah, yeah, man, uh, it's a bad deal, man. That's what's crazy about that, man, that deal there. I called him all weekend long, man. Every every hour I was trying to call him, get a hold of him, nothing, nothing, nothing. You know, Monday, my buddy calls me from Arkansas that used to hang out with 
He's like, man, he's like, I'm up here in the Metroplex, man. He's like, I just watched the news, man. I don't know if you know, he's the, uh, they found Lance and, your, and his wife both killed in their home, so. How did they die, though? Uh, they said at first it was uh, somebody killed them, and then they changed it, like they committed suicide together. But I don't believe that because I know her little brother, I know how, I know how he's getting, I know what was going, you know, I don't believe that at all, but I'm, I believe somebody else did it. So whoever did it had to be close to it. Good to get in that house because they had two of the baddest pits you ever seen. Nobody got in there unless you were you were welcome in there. They could they couldn't even get the bodies for days for days until they got somebody to get in there and get the dogs. A lot of fascinating side stories and characters interweave into the fabric of this case. Lance's name popped up quite a bit when talking to Ivan's old circle. I guess because he was a local celebrity. But his death happened in 2004. Getting back to 2000 and the night in question. Walk me through everything you remember just about that evening. Man, he come to my house because I wasn't going out. I wasn't going out that night, man. I, I was throwing a little party at the house, so he come over to the house. Him and his girl, we were doing things we probably shouldn't have been doing. I was, I was giving to Ivan, Ivan some party favors, you know, on a weekly basis. Let's put it that way. They wasn't there real, real long, you know. I wouldn't say they was there over an hour or so. And what were they doing, just hanging out? Yeah, hanging out, and then they were going to go to uh, Club 7, I believe, is where they were going. And was the lighting pretty good that you could see Ivan? Yeah, see yeah, yeah, I had my light. Yeah, the lights in the house. Yeah, we were at my house. Yeah, everything was on. Would you, did you notice anything odd about Ivan's face, like any swelling or? No, no, he just looked normal as could be. Which is interesting, because at trial, Amy testified... testified you testified yesterday that when Ivan came back to your apartment on the night of the 3rd or morning of the 4th, I guess he had a swollen face, correct? Yes. And you testified that James had hit him in the face with a baseball bat. No. What did you say? You said something about a baseball bat. I stated that Ivan said... Okay, that... James had hit him. Hit him with... A baseball bat. Okay, James hit him with a baseball bat. You are saying Ivan said, James hit me with a baseball bat. Yes. And in your statement to Detective Wynn, did you ever make a sworn statement that the left side of his face was all swollen? Yes. And that's when he came back. I think you said you looked at your VCR clock. It was 12.18 that morning. Correct. See, your place is the first place that Amy says that her and Ivan went to after he committed the murders. She said that, yeah, she said that he would have committed the murders probably like 30 minutes before they went over to your place. Nah, man, no, they didn't think, you figured a man done killed two people in 30 minutes and they come to your house, you just had her nerves. And you didn't sense any of that? No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Really, the second time when they came, they, they didn't act out of fucking out of character, you know? They were fucking happy, you know? They seemed like they were excited about stuff, but... And here's where things get murky. Smiley says they came back later that night. And that is what Amy said in her statement, too. However... Ivan said they only went to Smiley's the one time around 1 a.m. And the toll tag hits through this time period support they only went to Smiley's once. But Smiley seems to have a clear memory 
of them coming back a second time that night. When he come back, you know, hell, his old girl had a big old fucking platinum diamond ring on her finger, and he had a, he, he was in a different, he was in a brand new Corvette, black Corvette. That would also match with Amy's timeline. At this point in the evening, she said Ivan hadn't given her the ring yet, and they didn't swap out Amy Kitchen's Mercedes for James Corvette until after this visit. She looked distraught or nervous no, or anything? No, not a thing, man. She was the happiest to be because they were getting married. She was flaunting this big old ring around. So when they came the first time, was she wearing the ring? No. Huh. And then the second time, yeah, that's the first thing they showed me when I walked in the door. I do have a possible explanation for why Smiley says they came back for a second time that night, which we'll get into later this episode. But for now, we'll continue with Smiley's account. And what did they say about it? She said, well, we finally done it. It was like something like, we finally done it. She said, we're going to get married. And he went to talk and he said, you have to come out and see my gift that my granddad got me for uh, first getting engaged. And that was the Corvette? Yeah, it was a Corvette, and I never thought nothing about it. You know, it's 4.30 in the morning, and I'm saying it's kind of, I don't, I don't say his grandpa was up that time of morning and get you a car that quick, but. So that second time they came over, how long were they over there at about 4.30, you said? They, it's about the same as the last time. They, like, it was it. they pretty much in and out. They talked, they said, what's up to everybody? Now, did you ever see Ivan with a gun? Never in my life. I wouldn't, to me, I'd like, if you'd ask me, I don't know, I'd, I'd have said he probably couldn't even, he probably didn't even know how to load one. But according to Amy, Ivan would have had the gun in his pocket this whole time because he was about to pull it out right after they left Smiley's. Ivan was always, he was a little bitty fellow, man. I'm talking about back then, how bad he wasn't on 140 pounds. I didn't know about the pants. I didn't know what size they were until just now. Did tell you about the pants? Another friend from Ivan's past helped me connect with Smiley and apparently told him about the size of the jeans found in the trash can, the 34-32 Arizona jeans. The jeans Amy said Ivan was wearing about an hour before they got to Smiley's. Yeah, man, that's crazy, because I'm telling you right now, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a little bit bigger than Ivan. I'm 168 pounds, man. The biggest I've ever been was 180, but I ain't never been able to even fit in a 32. I wore 28 uh, to 30s my whole life, you know what I mean? My old adult life, I try to put a thirty pair of thirty twos on, and I'm talking about they got plates in the front of them where my belt's got them gathered up because they're too big. So thirty fours on a hundred and forty guy, forty pound man. I mean, Ivan ain't gonna go out looking like he wouldn't go out in public nowhere looking like that. You know what I mean? So you never knew him to wear anything like that. No, and if it wasn't if it wasn't name brand, he wasn't wearing it. Knowing that you saw him. Twice that before night. Before and after, man, and he, wasn't, he didn't have a scratch. He didn't have no marks on him. He wasn't swole for sure. And he never acted weird or Amy never acted nothing, weird? Nothing, nothing, nothing. That's what I didn't understand. And this is what Ivan said happened after they left Smiley's from that first visit when Ivan was still driving Amy Kitchen's Mercedes. We left Smiley's place around 1.35 a.m. At 1.43 a.m., Amy Kitchen's Mercedes hit a toll tag now going westbound on George Bush Turnpike, back towards their apartment in James and Amy's house. After leaving Smiley's place and heading towards Club 7 to go dancing, I noticed that one of the Mercedes tires was losing air. So I picked up the phone in the Mercedes and called to let them know 
that I'd be returning the car and picking up the Accord. When I called Amy Kay answered the phone. I explained the situation, and since I'm headed downtown, I can't drive this car, and I'm coming back to pick up the Accord. Amy Kay and I actually had a quick laugh about the tire losing air. Amy Kay mentioned that once I got to the house, press the garage door opener, and she'll come out through the garage once she hears it rising. Around 2.30 a.m., Amy B. and I get to James and Amy's house on Gibbons. As I approach the house, I press the garage door opener, and as the garage door is rising, Amy Kay is coming out. I pull the Mercedes into the left side of the garage. Amy Kay returns the spare key to the Accord, and Amy B. and I leave to continue on towards Club 7. During this exchange, James was still in the house, and I only saw Amy Kay. As we're driving towards the end of the street, Amy Kay calls me on the phone that I accidentally had taken from the Mercedes. Apparently, while driving the Mercedes, I placed the phone in my jacket pocket like I would normally do with my own phone. She pleads with me to come back and switch cars. Amy Kay said that James still wants to portray as if they're having company through the evening and for me to drive James' Corvette until the morning. When Amy Kay called, I could hear James in the background telling her what to say. So I turned around and headed back towards the house. When we got there, Amy Kay came out through the garage to meet us. I again leave the Accord out front and give the spare key back to Amy Kay. Amy Kay thanked us for taking the Corvette, and I mentioned that I'll be returning for the Accord in the morning. Amy Kay goes back into the house while Amy B. and I drove off in the Corvette. Now granted, Amy Kitchen and James pleading with Ivan to drive James Corvette for the rest of the evening does sound bizarre at best. They had to know that Ivan was drinking and on drugs of some sort. They really wanted him driving James' brand new $40,000 car? James would have had to have been awfully worried about that pizza man or someone else with ill intent coming by. As well, James would have had to have been fairly certain that having Ivan's Honda Accord parked out front, depicting they had company, would keep these thugs at bay. It's hard to believe if James was that worried, they wouldn't have just gotten a hotel room for the evening. This is one thing that James' friends and family have pointed to saying that Ivan is definitely lying because they say James and Amy never let anyone drive their cars, especially Ivan being messed up on drugs. When I brought that up to Ivan, he just said James let him drive the Corvette before. Ivan had a Corvette back in 98, so it was no big deal. And there is a picture of Ivan actually in the driver's seat driving Amy Kitchen's black Mercedes. It's unknown when that picture was taken, but at least on that day, he was allowed to drive it. But yeah, this Ivan doing them a favor, driving their cars, is one of the more unbelievable parts of Ivan's story. Although Amy's story sounds pretty unthinkable too, because... After Smiley's house, Ivan said we're going back to James and Amy's house. He was going to take her back to the scene of the crime, where about two hours prior, Ivan had just fired seven rounds into the back bedroom, and the houses in their development were pretty packed in there, less than 10 feet between the neighboring houses on either side. I said I didn't want to go. He stated that I'm going, so I know he's not full of shit. 
We got to the house, Ivan unlocked the door and said, come in. I said, no. Ivan said, get in here, so I did. He said, help him look for two kilos of cocaine. I said, no, let's go, please. He said, you need to calm down. I stated, please don't yell at me. Ivan said, I better help him now, so I did, because I didn't know if he would kill me too. Ivan said, come and look at this. I said, no. I did not see close up, but I kind of seen. I almost threw up. Ivan said, this is to let you know I'm not full of shit. Ivan got his cell phone out of the bedroom and his boots by the kitchen of James and Amy's house. As we were leaving, Ivan put the Mercedes in the garage and pulled the Corvette out. I was sitting in the Honda. After Ivan got in the Corvette, we went to the apartment and dropped off the Honda. Ivan and I went to our apartment. He had a white garbage bag of Ivan's shirt and a pair of jeans. Ivan said he had to get to seven. He grabbed his drugs and Ivan said, will you marry me? And gave me a ring. And I said, yes. As I said in episode one, this is what initially piqued my interest about this case, the ring. If Ivan committed the murders, not only would he have stolen the ring off his cousin's fiance's finger, he would have proposed to his own girlfriend with it and then go on to show it off to everyone they bumped into that night and have her show it off to her parents the next day. If this was a movie script, the movie would never get made because it's just too absurd. And yet, that was the state's case. But equally as curious is that Amy Kitchen's ring was reported missing. Within hours of Amy Betcher popping up with this quote new engagement ring. And the evidence pointed to the aforementioned absurd story. Maybe it is a case of truth being stranger than fiction. But I just wanted to get to the bottom of that. And it sent me down this rabbit hole. Either way, according to Amy, that is when she got the ring and they officially became engaged. But backing up to when Amy said they were in James and Amy Kitchen's house, Amy said they were in there for about 20 minutes, which sounds like an awfully long time to be back at the crime scene. She said Ivan never found the drugs or the cash he was looking for. And in another statement, she clarifies the white garbage bag. He had a white garbage bag of Ivan's shirt and a pair of jeans. She stated, quote, Ivan asked for a garbage bag to put the bloody clothes in. He got a bag and put his bloody shirt inside as well as James' jeans, unquote. 
Okay, so that would make sense that Ivan would have left his boots and shirt there because Amy said he came back in James' shirt and James' shoes. It would make sense that that shirt was bloody. But why would Ivan have put a pair of James' jeans in the bag? And I've considered, maybe those were Ivan's jeans, the jeans he wore over there. And then he actually wore a pair of James' jeans back to the apartment because James would have been about a size 34 32. That would explain where these mysterious jeans came from. But the one issue is what Amy had said about James and her Arizona jean samples. Uh, yeah, I did work for a manufacturer jean company. Yes, and I had samples, but I've never taken any jeans to James Mosqueda's house, ever. I mean, would you occasionally uh, hook the guys up with jeans, I guess, since you were working at the... I probably gave a couple of pairs out, but I can guarantee I never gave James Mosqueda, Amy, and or Ivan any. And also, Amy Betcher always stated that Ivan came back in the same jeans that he left in. She said he came back wearing James' shirt and James' shoes, so you would think if Ivan came back in jeans much bigger than the ones he left in, then she would assume that those were James' jeans. But she never said that. And the other weird thing about this second visit is, it's odd to think that Ivan would have left his bloody clothes, boots, and cell phone at the crime scene. And instead of going straight back over to James' house to get all that stuff out of there, he chose to go over to Smiley's, casually hang out, and pick up some drugs for the rest of the evening, and then make his way back to James' house. He would have just left that evidence laying around for two hours, right after the murders right after the cops could have very well been called about gunshots. Although his Honda would have been parked right in the front of the house the whole time too. So had the cops been called because neighbors heard the shots, as soon as the cops got there, Ivan would have been tied to the crime. The whole thing doesn't make any sense. But when you factor in that Ivan would have been on cocaine and maybe he was going through a manic episode, that could explain these nonsensical actions. But even so, Amy's story about this second trip and spending 20 minutes inside the house, back at the scene of the crime, Ivan looking for kilos and cash that was nowhere to be found, it's just so bizarre. You'll remember when I brought this part of Amy's story up to Kramer, it seemed like he even had a hard time believing it. So she says that Ivan had went over to kill him, but then Ivan comes back and then takes her back? Takes her back. What do you think of that? Well, I guess I have to believe what you're saying. You know, you don't hear too much about somebody going back to a murder scene. Um, no, you sure and, don't. Yeah, I mean, as a cop, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of strikes you funny. You know, because it, it's true that you just wouldn't normally do that. Most of the time somebody kills somebody, they stay the hell away. You know, it just, I just thought a lot of this whole thing was strange. Another difference in Ivan and Amy's stories is the location of Ivan's Honda Accord. 
After the second trip to James and Amy's house, Ivan said he and Amy left their house in the Corvette, although Amy Betcher said only Ivan was in the Corvette and that she drove the Honda back to their place and parked the Honda by their apartment. Why that is important is because the Corvette was found parked by Ivan's apartment the day after the bodies were found. Ivan's story is that after this whole crazy night, he dropped off James Corvette back at James' house. And then they drove the Honda back to their apartment. So for Ivan's story to work about dropping the Corvette back off of the house, he needs the Honda still parked at James' house at this point in the timeline. And the cars do get super confusing, but it's important to keep track of, and it will continue to come up through Ivan and Amy's timelines. So basically, all you need to remember now is that when they left James and Amy's house at this point, just before 3 a.m., Ivan said the Honda was still parked in front of their house. And Amy said she drove the Honda back to their apartment. Now let's continue Ivan's timeline. As we're leaving the Gibbons' house and heading towards Club 7, Amy B. mentions that she wants to go by the Pear Ridge apartment to get a few CDs. This was actually a good idea because we needed to go to the apartment anyway to retrieve my cell phone. You'll remember Amy said Ivan left his cell phone at James and Amy's house. Once we get to the apartment, we're able to get the CDs in my cell phone. While I'm placing the CDs in the six-disc carousel located at the rear of the Corvette, I see my neighbor Stephen and say hello. And so you were the neighbor that saw Ivan and Amy that evening? Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, could you just walk me through um, uh, what you remember? Sure. So um, it was probably 2 or 3 in the morning, somewhere in there. I don't remember what my testimony was, but um, I, I was playing part-time as a musician at that time, and we got done playing that night. And my friend and I came back to my place because um, he lived, uh, like, out in Greenville, so he was staying the night. And so we come driving up, and here is Ivan and Amy. Amy's in the Corvette. Ivan had his driver door open and the rear, the hatch of the, of the uh, Corvette open. And I figured he must have been switching out CDs or something in the CD changer. But um, that's what I saw. And I said, hey, how's it going? He said, hey, not bad. And that was the first time I've ever seen him in a Corvette. And what was his demeanor like? Uh, he seemed appropriate. He, you know, I said hello and stuff. And he said, hey, back. He could have been doing anything in the trunk, but the first thing that came to mind was, I think, on those Corvettes, they had the CD changers in the rear, in the trunk. Not the trunk, but in the hatchback at the rear yeah. of the car. So I just assumed yeah. that's what he was doing, but I didn't see what he was messing with. He, he could have had AK-47s and, you know, a ton of coke back there, and I would have noticed. So. <laughs> right. Well, but did his demeanor at all come across as if perhaps he had something, you know, to, to hide, or that he had just sure. murdered someone a, an hour ago? That's what I'm kind of trying to... Anyone yeah, that's in and, contact with him. No, and he was he's very appropriate. You know, I said he said, Hey, how's it going? I said, it's going good, or whatever I said to him. And Amy at that point was sitting in the passenger side of the Corvette? Correct. She was seated in the passenger side. Did she wave to you or anything? Or you know, I was just wondering I don't think so. I think she was in the car facing forward or maybe looking to the left towards the driver's side. And I well, of course came up on the uh the driver's side rear of the car. And of course mm-hmm. he was there and that's, I just said hello to him and that was it. It was just kind of, you know, high neighbor kind of thing. And up, up, the, up the stairs, I went to my place. 
It is interesting. Ivan certainly wasn't concerned with people spotting him with the Corvette. And one thing that Ivan pointed to that he said proves Amy was lying about her driving the Honda back to the apartment. This neighbor testified at Ivan's trial. And when he was asked, did he see the Honda in the parking lot? He testified no. Ivan said that's because Amy never drove the Honda back to the apartment. She lied about that. Now, could she have parked the Honda in the side lot? Perhaps. But Ivan said they always parked up front by the apartment and the neighbor knew his Honda Accord because they always parked right near each other. But the neighbor saying no, he didn't see it doesn't prove it wasn't somewhere in the lot. It is interesting though. But what's more interesting to me in this whole Amy driving the Honda back scenario is if Ivan was essentially holding her hostage after seeing the dead bodies and Amy was scared to death of Ivan, she was alone in that Honda. She had the ability to drive straight to a police station, to drive anywhere. It's also strange to think that after Ivan walked her through the murder scene, that he would just hand her the keys to the Honda and let her out of his sight and control. Maybe she was too scared to leave. But if she indeed was driving the Honda by herself away from the murder scene, that would have been a perfect opportunity to get away from Ivan. And she didn't take it. After the CDs are installed into the changer, we drive to Club 7. And this is where we started the episode. At 3.06 a.m., James Corvette hit a toll tag as it passed Trinity Mills Road, heading south down the Dallas North Tollway. The same tollway that James and Amy Kitchen were heading up north exactly five hours earlier. And around this point in the timeline, while they were on the tollway, is when Amy said, Ivan threw James Rolex out of the Corvette window. By 3.16 a.m., Ivan and his Amy had gotten downtown. They passed a toll at Wycliffe Avenue. Amy said, Ivan said, when you see a dumpster, let me know. He found one about one block away from seven. Ivan threw the garbage bag away. The white garbage bag with the bloody clothes from James and Amy's house. Meanwhile, the other bloody clothes were still in the trash can in their apartment. He got back in the Corvette. We then went to seven. They arrived at the nightclub around 3.20 a.m., now called Stars and Spirits, located at 2505 Pacific Avenue. 22 years ago, it was called Club Seven. Of course, Ivan didn't include anything about throwing something away in a dumpster. He said that never happened. But here's what he said about Club Seven. We finally get to Club Seven. We enter the club and hang out with a few people that we know. However, some of the people we were looking for had already left. So Amy B and I decide to leave. So they were only at Club Seven for about 20 minutes before they left to go to a nearby house party at a guy named Harlan's house. Harlan lived on Powhatan Street, 
less than two miles from Club 7, putting Ivan and Amy's arrival right about 4 a.m. When leaving the club, we decided to go to Harlan's house because he usually has people over partying until the wee hours of the morning. As they arrived, you'll remember there was a party DJ who had just walked out the door. And when I opened the door, I remember this couple walking up. I remember the Corvette, the black Corvette. Of course, I've seen silhouettes because it's dark outside. And then when they walk up uh, and they introduce themselves. And then I remember the girl Amy being real giddy, you know, like, and they're smiling, you know, um, and, you know, and we just got engaged and, 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 you know, showed me the ring. And you didn't know them. It was just like no, they were coming up to every person right, right. they saw right. saying we got engaged. Right. And did he say, did he look like, was he like, yeah, we're engaged? Or, I mean. I was just a big smile on his face. Did you notice anything on Ivan's face, like a bruise or anything? Did you ever make a sworn statement that the left side of his face was all swollen? Yes. No, that would, that would stick out. I didn't, I didn't notice. And, and it's okay if you were, but were you on anything? Or were you intoxicated no, at that no, time? No. So you were stone cold sober. Oh yeah, sober, and I was uh, I was there for you know business to to figure out where to set all the uh, equipment up. At. I told the party DJ what Amy said happened just a few hours before he saw them. Ivan coming back with blood on him, her seeing the dead bodies. They got to be the greatest uh, actors ever. Man, usually you would be able to tell if someone was, you know, something would have broke, you know, to keep that up like that. I don't know. They had me fooled, you know, that if, if that was the case, if that just happened. See, Amy says that he killed her. Amy says that they were out partying, which she was afraid of Ivan the whole time. They were saying, why didn't you get away from him? Why she could have done it then, right there and then, and if that was the case. Uh, How so? So I think it was like maybe five, at least six people at, uh, that I remember at, at uh, Harlan's place. Dude, I've always been a big guy. You know, if someone's, if someone's hurting or somebody's help, I'm gonna step in. She could have easily did something. To let you know yeah. that, hey. Or help, you know, look at me, you know, give us some type of tell. There was none of that. I didn't no. see any fear or anything like that. Their demeanor, to me, was ecstatic, happy, joyous. Uh, they just got engaged, and that was that was pretty much it. Here's what Harlan remembers. I saw him. I know he was at my house. I didn't Is that Ivan? Ivan okay. Cantu and his fiancée, the girl that was with him at the time. Okay. I know they were there, and they were trying to spin this story, but I didn't hear it. Everybody in their house heard it, but I didn't have any contact with him that night. Okay. Didn't see him again after that until saw him in court. I got you. I mean, I didn't know him very well. There was other people that knew him, but, you know, we had been to a couple of parties. We've been out on the lake together. Well, did you notice anything on Ivan's face, like bruises or swelling or cuts or anything like that? I'm talking, like I said, um, the house I'm talking about, it was an old 1920s house, right? Okay. Light and very poor. We kept it pretty much dark in there anyway. I'm in the room by myself, and every time he cracked my door, hey, what are you doing? I'm, I'm engaged to Amy, and I'm like, dude, just get the fuck out of the room. I'm busy right now. At the same time that that was going on, my girlfriend at the time, she got arrested, and I was on the phone the whole time he was at my house. He would come in, hey, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, look, get the fuck out of my room. 
I'm trying to get Tina out of jail. Sure. This went on the whole time. And when I came out, they were gone. Did you ever know of Ivan not to carry a gun? No, not at all. He was around. He was kind of a bragging kind of guy. He never was like packing. You know, we were at, at the lake a lot. He never had a gun. So Harlan didn't see too much since he was in his room while Ivan and Amy were at his house that night. And I'm still looking for anyone else at these parties who might have seen or heard more from Ivan or Amy that night. After Harlan's house, apparently they went to another nearby party. And that is where Ivan and Amy's timelines diverge. Amy said, After we left there, we went back to Smiley's house. Like I said, the toll tag records seem to contradict this, and we'll get into that momentarily. But Smiley also said the same thing. So the only explanation that I could come up with, that Smiley was confused about a second trip, was that he also told me that he was interviewed by the police, which was news to me, because there's no record of him being interviewed. And Smiley said it was Amy that... Brought the detective to my house. They left a note on my door, want me to come speak to them, so... Amy brought the cops to your house? Uh, yeah, let them ride to me. They come to me, I guess, because she told them I was there before and after. Well, they come to my they, When I went and got interviewed up there, interviewed with a detective, and he's been, he's a, he's a youngster, probably just come to, got, got, to, got a spot. He's been total dick, man, I'm talking about. He, he was trying to get me to be on their team. He was coming at me like he was trying to put this stuff off on me. He kept calling me Smiley instead of calling me by my name. And he, he, uh, he said, I'll tell you what, Smiley. He said, uh, let me tell you a story, and then you tell me what you think. And he told me what the, uh, how it all went down, everything that I, I was doing. And uh, then he asked me, he said, so if a story like that wasn't true, why was such a pretty little blonde? He said, if, why was such a pretty little blonde tell a story like that if it wasn't true? Normally, I just was smart ass. I said, I guess I reckon because I'll probably never give her none of this ding-ding, sir. And uh, he, he threw his damn hat across the damn room and two girls that was taking his notes. Uh, they uh they were kind of giggling when I said it, and he got ahead and pissed him off. He said, "I tell you what, son," he said. He said, "You you will be sitting across the stand from him the day we give him the death sentence." He said, "If you don't say what you know and what you're supposed to say," he said, "it will reflect on your sentencing date." Cause see, I'd already got in trouble. I was just waiting on him to send me to tell me when I was going away and how long. So Smiley apparently told the police what he knew and never heard any more about it. But I've wondered if the police were running down Amy's statement and timeline with Smiley, if that's why he now thinks they came back for a second time that night. He also told me... His old girl had a big old fucking platinum diamond ring on her finger. And Amy didn't think it was a platinum ring until the cops told her that. So it would seem that either Smiley had gotten some information from the police or had read the official story online and that became part of his memory. Regardless, it doesn't really tip the scales for Ivan's guilt or innocence one way or another, whether they went back to Smiley's for a second time that night. People at other parties saw Ivan in the Corvette and Amy with the ring. The only reason I'm harping on it is because it will come up later as a crucial detail with these early morning toll tag hits. But for now, let's continue Amy's timeline for the rest of the evening. By this time, we're getting into the morning hours, around 5 a.m., after we left there, we went to Metal's house, a friend of mine in Irving. We sat there until about 10 a.m. I said, we have to get to my parents' house. No one had ever found Metal. Amy and Ivan didn't know his name. 
All Ivan could tell me was that he was a tatted-up Mexican drug dealer and that he lived in Irving, a city to the northwest of Dallas. So how do you go about finding a guy named Metal after 20 years? Hi, Santa. I'm Sylvia Cantu. My son is Ivan. Ivan. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see if your son's name, did he go by a nickname of Metal? It's actually pretty interesting how we found him. I'm able to send Ivan images through the prison JPay system. It's like their email system. So I asked Ivan if he remembered any major cross streets near Metal's house. And I could send him a map of that area and maybe he could figure out which street he lived on. Ivan said, send him a map of the area around North MacArthur Boulevard, an airport freeway. Surprisingly from that, he pointed to a little residential street Ivan said he thought he lived in a house on a cul-de-sac at the end of this dead-end street. There were about six houses packed into the cul-de-sac. I enlarged an image of the cul-de-sac so that Ivan could see all the houses. He picked the second house on the right. He said he remembered the look of that garage. I ran that address. It came back to an older Hispanic lady named Juana. We hoped that was his mom. And since I'm not in Dallas, Sylvia wanted to knock on the door. Hi, Santa. And I wanted to see if your son's name, did he go by a nickname of Metal? Yeah. Okay. So that's how we found Metal. Amy was the one who first introduced Ivan to Metal. Ivan said he had only been there maybe five times. It was actually amazing. Ivan picked the right house on the first try after 20 years. Metal's mom said Metal was now working in the oil fields, out of town. She said he had gotten his life together, and she would have him call me. And within a few days, I got a call from Metal, but he couldn't or wouldn't tell me too much. He apparently looked up Ivan's name before he called, so he was now familiar with the story. It didn't sound like he was even aware of the murders. Nobody even knew Metal's real name during the original investigation or trial, so he was never questioned. And now... 20 years after the fact, he said he barely even remembered Ivan, but he did remember Amy. You know, Amy, acquaintance, you know, you just knew her through that, you know, that lifestyle that I was living back then. Him, I didn't even I didn't even know. I don't know his character. Let's start with Amy. How long did you know Amy before you met Ivan that night? Uh, shoot, I probably knew her. I don't even know, maybe a year, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure. Okay, and now, uh, how did you know her? Uh, yeah, I met her through a friend, and, uh, you know, we, we partied a few times, and just, I met her through a friend. I can't even remember which one. I don't remember none of this. Him ever coming to my house. I remember, I mean, Amy, I, she came to my place once, but that's about it. Unlike Smiley, Metal was not much of a talker. And actually, as you'll hear in the rest of Ivan's timeline, Ivan said they never went to Metals on this night. Ivan said they went to Metals after they got back from Arkansas, the night they went over to Tawny's. And you'll remember on that night, Ivan said, When we get to Metals' house, we primarily just stayed in the garage. While in the garage, we all partied a little bit with some speed. Metals, the guy that sold Amy her speed. As we were in the garage, I noticed a security monitor showing every outside angle of the house. 
You could see that this guy was a stickler for security. Inside the garage were several guns, bullets, magazines, and other accessories that attached to weapons. I was intrigued because I had never really seen stuff like this. Metal allowed me to touch and hold the different guns and accessories, so I did because I really didn't think anything of it. He had all kinds of guns, little ones, medium ones, and a few very large handguns. Soon after hanging out in Metal's garage for a little bit, but Amy and I noticed that it was getting quite late and we needed to go. Again, Ivan said that happened in the early morning hours of November 8th, not the night of the murders. But I did wonder what Metal would have to say when I brought it up. And do you recall back in those days if you had, like, guns or anything uh, laying around? If who did? If in, just in your garage. No, sir, I did not. And I will tell you this. They never, that guy never came to my garage. That guy, I met at a friend's house with him and Amy. They came over to a friend of mine that I was at, and I was there by myself. And and so, you know, it was like I said, not even, I don't think it was the, the I don't think it was even more than 30 minutes, maybe 15, 20, maybe 20 at the most is when I met that guy. Understandably, Metal did not want to have anything to do with a line of gun questioning connected to a capital murder case. But clearly Ivan had been to Metal's garage because he was able to point to it on a map. Now back to Amy's timeline for the night of the murders, she said they were at Metal's from roughly 6 a.m. until... We sat there until about 10 a.m. I said, we have to get to my parents' house. So according to Amy, they were at Metal's for about four hours. We left there and went back to the apartment where we lived, packed our clothes... I said, let's go. My parents are going to worry about us. Finally, we left about 12, 12.30 p.m. Before we walked out the door, he stated, get straight into the car. The whole time we were together, he had the gun. On the way up to my parents' house, he stated, I better act like nothing is wrong and listen to everything he says. And that's how this quote-unquote night ended on Amy's timeline. They left Metals at 10 a.m. in James Convertible. It's about 30 minutes from Metals to their apartment, putting them back home at about 10.30 a.m. in the Corvette. They packed up and loaded up the Honda, never even went to sleep that night, and were on the road heading to Arkansas about noon or 12.30 p.m. And in the last part of her statement, it is odd to think that Ivan had the gun and supposedly telling her to do everything he said And yet Amy, in her own statement, is the one hurrying up Ivan and wanted to rush him to get to her parents' house. It is hard to make sense of that. But that's Amy's story. This is what Ivan said happened after Harlan's. He and Amy went to an unspecified nearby house party, and then... We joined the party and hang out for a little while. At this point, we realized that we would be traveling to Arkansas soon. So we decided to leave. At 6.15 a.m., we entered the South Plaza tollway booth and began heading north to James and Amy's house on Gibbons so that I can pick up the Accord. Once I get closer to the house, I'll call them and mention that I'm close by. This way, they'll be ready to make the exchange and return the Accord and spare key. Around 6.30 a.m., I called and shared that I'm just a few minutes away. When making this call, I used their extra cell phone that was accidentally taken earlier in the evening. 
Amy Kay is the one I spoke with, and during the short conversation, I didn't hear James in the background like during the earlier exchange. So according to Ivan, Amy Kitchen was still alive and he was talking with her at about 6.30 a.m. Soon after the call, we get to their home. Just like last time, Amy Kay comes outside through the garage. She gives me back the spare key to the Accord, and as I start to pull into the driveway from the street, she waves for me to just pull into the garage. At this time, Amy Kay seemed fine, if anything, just a little tired. Amy B and I get into the Accord. We get to the Pear Ridge apartment fairly quick. Once we got to the apartment, I really don't remember very much. All I really remember is getting to the apartment and walking in the front door. Shortly after 9 a.m., around 9.30 a.m., Amy B and I gathered our things and prepared for the trip to Arkansas. When leaving the apartment complex, I entered the leasing office and dropped off a money order for the rent. Around 10.30 a.m., Amy B and I are on the road, heading for Arkansas. And that is how Ivan's timeline ended for the night of the murders. But let's unpack that final part of Ivan's statement. James Corvette hit toll tags at 6.15, 6.25, and 6.28 a.m., coming back up north on the tollway from right around Harlan's house toward Ivan and Amy's place. And what's interesting is that the hit at 8.28 a.m. was one exit away from where you turn off for Ivan's apartment in Pear Ridge, but it's the same exit you would turn off to go to James' house on Gibbons Drive. You get off and go right for Ivan's or go left for James. Either way, that's the last toll you hit. But you see, after that toll hit at 628, there's no way to determine if Ivan went left, as he said he did, to go to James' house and drop off the Corvette and pick up the Honda, or if he went right and just drove the Corvette back to their apartment, as Amy said Ivan did after their night out. And this brings us to another huge discrepancy in Ivan and Amy's timelines when they actually went back to their apartment. Ivan said they got home at 6.30 a.m. And in Amy's original statement, she said they left Metals at 10 a.m., never specifying when they got home. But Metals was about 30 minutes away, so that would put them getting home at about 10.30 a.m. Now, why this is a crucial detail is because you'll remember there was one last toll tag hit. James Corvette, also hit a toll at 11.15 a.m. And neither Ivan's timeline or this timeline from Amy had them in the Corvette at 11.15 a.m. So it would seem there are only two possible scenarios for how the Corvette hit that toll. Either Ivan was telling the truth about how the night ended and he put the Corvette back at 6.30 a.m. and someone else was driving the Corvette at 11.15 Or the second scenario, Amy was telling the truth on how the night ended, but she just had her times a little off. After about 12 hours of drinking and doing drugs, that is understandable, and it does sound like a much simpler explanation. You see, that 11.15 a.m. toll hit is the exact same toll they hit at 6.28 a.m., same direction, going northbound one block away from the exit for either James' house or Ivan's apartment. So whoever was driving would have had to have gone south, not on the tollway, 
and then come back up and hit that toll again. Unlike Amy's timeline, Ivan's timeline does correspond with the toll tag hits. And here's the reason why that is. In going back and forth between Ivan and Amy's timeline, it was clear that Ivan made his timeline with access to the toll tag records because he phrased things like 6.25 a.m. Tollway records confirm I'm still heading north on the tollway. So I asked him, when did he make this timeline? And he said he made it shortly after his conviction for his state habeas attorney. So we don't know what Ivan's times would have been if he wasn't able to use the toll records to corroborate his timeline. Just going with what we have to work with, Ivan's timeline was spot on with the toll tag hits and Amy's timeline was way off. But I wondered, given these tolls and known locations, if Amy's timeline was even possible, could they have actually went to Smiley's and then to Metal's, cross-referencing these toll hits? I was actually surprised to find out, after mapping it and putting it into the Toll Guru website, it is possible. And I'll post images of the potential routes of travel on the website and social media. Basically, Smiley was in Plano and Metal was in Irving. And as you'll see if you check out the supplementals, it is possible, but it's like a labyrinth of going up the tollway for no reason and double backing, adding about 30 miles to their trip to make it all fit and not hit any tolls. So Amy's timeline and the routes of travel seem highly unlikely. Also, they would have been hanging out in Metal's garage for about three hours. From 7 a.m. until 10 a.m. Metal doesn't seem like that kind of hospitable host, but when you add in all those drugs, it does create the X factor of irrationality. On paper, Ivan's timeline makes a lot more sense, but after spending way too much time going over maps of Dallas roadways, I came to the conclusion, based on these toll records, there is no way to prove if Ivan was or wasn't driving the Corvette at 11.15 a.m. But rewinding the clock about 12 hours, we do know Ivan was the last known person in James and Amy Kitchen's house and the last known person to see them alive. So let's go back and really drill down on the main minutes in question, the midnight visit. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
If Ivan did commit the murders at that time, based on Amy Betcher's statement, the evidence, and the crime scene photos, I'll break down my conjecture of how it could have happened. Ivan stated, now I have to go kill James and Amy. Ivan left our apartment. Ivan would have had a maximum of about a 45-minute window that he could have been inside James and Amy's house, approximately from 11.30 p.m. until 12.15 a.m., even though it's been speculated. They may have been asleep in the bed prior to the offense. For this scenario, we'd have to presume that James and Amy Kitchen were still awake when Ivan got there. Ivan had just called James and said he was coming over. James wouldn't have gone to sleep in the five minutes it took Ivan to get there. And Amy Kitchen was on the phone with her mom around 11.30. But what's interesting is somehow during the course of Ivan's visit, all three of them would end up in the backmaster bedroom. So assuming James and Amy were awake, there's only two ways it would seem for all of them to wind up in that small back bedroom. Either Ivan would have forced them back there at gunpoint, or James and Amy were back there willingly before they ever knew Ivan had a gun and what was going through his mind. And since James was much bigger and tougher than Ivan... James is a tough, bad motherfucker. There had to be a lot of people there. You want me to tell you why? Because James is not going to hold still. It's hard to imagine, even with a gun, Ivan would have been able to march James and Amy back to their bedroom and make James lie on that bed without any sign of a struggle. So it seems like James and Amy must have been back there willingly. Ivan must have used the pretext that he needed to talk to James about something as a reason to come over. It was a pretext because according to Amy Betcher's statement, Ivan stated, now I have to go kill James and Amy. Ivan left our apartment. Ivan had already made up his mind that he was going to kill them. So then what was Ivan chatting James up about until he was ready to pull the trigger? Was it about money? We don't know for sure, but in this scenario, we do know it wouldn't have been about the pizza man. If Ivan has the gun, the pizza man doesn't exist. And there was nothing to warn James about. So if they're just talking and we start putting people in position based on the crime scene photos, James is on the bed and Ivan would be standing by the foot of the bed. Here's the thing. James wasn't found laying on top of the comforter. He was laying on the sheets. The comforter was kind of balled up by the foot of the bed in the crime scene photos. So James wasn't on the bed when he and Ivan were in the back bedroom. He was in the bed. If Ivan was acting manic or agitated while talking with James, especially if there was some kind of money conversation in the air, like we've heard, Ivan wanting or needing money from James. That doesn't seem like a conversation that would happen with James in the bed. James is not going to just keep laying there if things are heating up. Also, if they were having a heated conversation, then Amy Kitchen's mom would have overheard that while on the phone with Amy. Amy Kitchen's mom said herself 
she was on the phone with Amy at approximately 11.25 p.m. That is, right about the time when Ivan would have arrived. So trying to make all these pieces fit, James is laying in the bed, Ivan is talking to him standing by the bed, and Amy is finishing up talking to her mom around the kitchen or living room area. James and Ivan must have been talking casually enough though, because after Amy hung up with her mom, she would have entered the bedroom too. She would have passed by Ivan standing by the bed, and James laying in the bed. Amy would have gone to the master bathroom, just to the right of the bed. Maybe she went there to take off her makeup, who knows. But I don't think she would have just laid in the bed with James while Ivan was still talking. So Amy would be in the bathroom. That puts everyone in position. All three are in the back bedroom with no signs of a struggle. Now in that position, Ivan kind of has them trapped. He's got them in their bedroom. Ivan standing by the door, blocking the only way out. At this point, Ivan would have the gun in his pocket. And according to Amy Betcher, that would be the pocket of the 3432 Arizona jeans. Ivan would also be wearing his hiking boots and a black and white no fear pullover shirt. Again, James and Amy would both be wearing t-shirts and shorts. James in his boxer shorts. So Ivan would have been over there about 15 to 20 minutes at this point. It's almost midnight. This would be it. And if the murders went down at this point, what was going through Ivan's mind? What was the motive? Was Ivan devastated that his mom gave James all that real estate business and not him? Was he jealous of James? Jealous that James' life was on the upswing and his life on the downward spiral. Ivan wouldn't have gone into any tirade telling James what was going through his mind. James wasn't going to keep laying down for a tongue lashing from Ivan. Just like us, James and Amy would have never known why. James was shot twice in the face. One bullet entered above the left temple. And under the chin. James and Amy had a golden cocker spaniel type dog named Bailey. The dog was found in a kennel in the house the next day. Amy would have quickly opened the bathroom door. Amy was shot on the side, lifting her arm up. It went through the through her arm and through her body. This shot could have caused the blood the family had seen on the floor of the bathroom. Amy was also shot twice in the back. And these shots may have taken place as she turned away from Ivan and jumped over James in the bed, causing her body to fall on the floor on the far side of the bed. And Ivan would have walked to that other side of the bed. And then she was shot in the head. In the back of the head. Frank said one bullet was still lodged in her head. That was speculation in the order of the bullets and the exact body positioning when the gun was fired. But based on the crime scene photos, it must have gone something like that. At trial, the state's blood spatter expert 
testified that based on the blood spatter on the wall and ceiling, it indicated that Amy Kitchen had been beaten or kicked in the face during the attack. Aside from the spatter, she also pointed to the bloody sock as evidence of the kicking. There was a small clump of blonde hair found on the bloody sock as well. The blonde hair on the sock was never DNA tested, but at trial, it was presumed by the state that was Amy Kitchen's hair. The expert also testified that the blood spatter on the sock was consistent with a kick. However, the medical examiner's report didn't list any trauma to Amy's body other than the gunshots. So in this scenario, did Ivan beat or kick Amy Kitchen in the face during the attack? According to the blood spatter expert, yes. But according to the medical examiner's report, no. But at some point, Ivan must have taken off his boots because there was the blood on the socks and Ivan would have had blood on his clothes, on his jeans, and on his shirt. Ivan would have taken off his black and white No Fear shirt and grabbed a black button-up shirt out of James' closet. He would have also put on a black pair of James' shoes. Ivan was wearing James' shoes and shirt. He also had doctor gloves on. In this scenario, Ivan wouldn't have put the latex doctor's gloves on until after the murders because he wouldn't have had time to put those on without tipping off James. Ivan would have grabbed James' wallet and he found Amy's ID and all of the sets of keys he could find and he put those in his pocket, still wearing the Arizona jeans. Ivan had James' wallet and Amy's ID. He said he had to keep them and three sets of keys of James and Amy's. He may or may not have searched for money or drugs at this time, but if he did, he didn't make a mess. He may have also taken Amy Kitchen's ring off her finger at this point, or perhaps on the second trip back. But Ivan would have left his boots, his shirt, and his cell phone inside their house, and left his Honda Accord parked out front as the garage door opens, and he gets in Amy Kitchen's Mercedes to leave the scene of the crime. and he would have gotten back to their apartment at 12.18 a.m. Again, no one can say for sure exactly what went down, but if we're going by the evidence and Amy Betcher's testimony, the midnight visit must have gone down something like that. But after going through that sequence of events, many questions remain. Like, What happened to James' shirt and shoes that Amy said Ivan came back in? Amy never brought those items up again, and they were never found. Amy always specified the jeans and socks went into their trash can. But what about James' shirt and shoes? Why wouldn't Ivan have put those in the trash at the same time he took off the jeans and socks? So where did they go? Also, Why would Ivan have taken James and Amy's IDs? Amy testified he came home and put the IDs on the counter. Amy said Ivan said he had to keep them, but then Amy said Ivan put them in a Burger King bag with James' necklace and threw them all away days later in a dumpster by Tawny's apartment. So why would he take their IDs? It's almost amazing how ironclad Amy's testimony 
sounds on the surface. She said Ivan literally said, I am going to go kill James and Amy. And then he came back and put their IDs on the counter. It feels suspiciously clear cut, based only on Amy's testimony, not hard evidence. So just like Amy Kitchen's ring and James necklace and James shirt and shoes, James and Amy's IDs are nowhere to be found by the police. And what about those latex gloves found in the trash can? Was Ivan wearing those or not? Because in all of Amy's statements, Amy stated Ivan was wearing them when he came back. But at trial, and when I interviewed her, she knew nothing about those latex gloves in the trash can. Why is that? Although Amy said Ivan's face was swollen, no one else noticed that. And there was no baseball bat found at the crime scene. So did Ivan really tell her that James hit him with a baseball bat? Did Ivan really leave his bloody shirt, his boots, his cell phone, and his vehicle at the crime scene? And without any sense of urgency to get them out of there, he went to Smiley's, hung out a little bit, and then went back to James and Amy Kitchen's house, at which point he basically gave Amy Betcher a tour of the murder scene. Did all that really happen? Because that sounds absurd. And maybe the biggest question mark, why was Ivan wearing those jeans? Jeans that you've heard many people say would have been way too big for Ivan. There was no belt found with the jeans. Could Ivan have even worn those jeans without a belt? That's a huge question mark. And we know Amy lied about Ivan having James Rolex and Ivan throwing James Rolex out of the Corvette window on the tollway. She said that in her second, third, and fourth statement and on the witness stand. So it begs the question, what else did she lie about? Even when you put together the most complete picture, based on the evidence and Amy Betcher's testimony, why are there still so many questions? How people have explained away all these questions and explained how Ivan killed his own cousin and Amy Kitchen is drugs. Basically, crazy things happen when people are on drugs. Ivan must have been out of control and out of his mind because of all the drugs he was on. You've heard that from most everyone on the podcast who knew Ivan. This was the rationale. And yet, the evidence contradicts that theory entirely. At trial, the prosecution said this. And there's absolutely no evidence that this defendant was on drugs or drinking when he committed this horrible crime. The only evidence is that as soon as he got home, he goes into the freezer and gets the mushrooms. And later on does the cocaine, the meth, the ecstasy. There is no evidence that when he killed James and Amy, he was on anything. You'll remember Ivan worked his two jobs that Friday, countrywide home loans during the day, and then went to his part-time job at Super Salads, 
Amy testified she slept most of the day, and she got up in the afternoon, and the defense asked her, What drugs had you done that day? On what day? The day you got up in the afternoon before Melanie got there. What drugs had you done that day? None. Was that when you told the prosecutor that you were doing drugs every day? What was different about that day? Did you not have any? No, I did not. You were out? We didn't have none the night before or that day. Were you kind of going through withdrawal? Were you craving it? No. And that night you did, you did, I can't recall, ecstasy? Yeah. Crank? Yeah. Cocaine? Yes. But Ivan told me he and Amy did do a little bit of coke after he got home from Super Salads as they were getting ready to go out for the night. He said he and Amy just did some periodically in the bathroom in their apartment when Melanie was there. He said there wasn't enough to go around. That's why he went to Smiley's first that night, to score the coke and ecstasy for the rest of the night. So during the midnight visit, Ivan would have only been on a small amount of cocaine. After the midnight visit, Ivan denies ever doing the mushrooms, as he has said that he wouldn't have been able to drive that evening on mushrooms. But he does confirm that later that night he was on coke, ecstasy, and speed, or meth. So yes, it sounds like Ivan was pretty much blasted out of his mind by 5 or 6 a.m. Could be argued that at that point in the timeline, a drug-fueled psychosis could have been the catalyst for Ivan to have committed the murders. But this notion that everyone has had in their mind for over 20 years, that Ivan must have been messed up on drugs at the time of the murders, doesn't seem to hold water. When Ivan went over to James and Amy's house, when he was said to have committed the murders, Ivan was not on speed, also known as crank or meth. Ivan was not on mushrooms. Ivan was not on ecstasy. Ivan was not drunk. Ivan was just on a small amount of cocaine, which, for a frequent cocaine user, should not have spun him out of control. And even Amy's testimony would seem to support this. What time was it approximately when Ivan called James' house? About 11.20. What happened after Ivan hung up the phone? He said that he was going to go kill Amy and James. How did he say it? Just calm. You heard witnesses this episode say Ivan was acting. He's very appropriate. And he never acted weird or Amy never acted nothing, weird? Nothing, nothing, nothing. That's what I didn't understand. They had me fooled. If, if that was the case, if that just happened. But we also have Melanie's statement that Ivan was acting manic when she saw him just minutes before the midnight visit. But ask yourself this, if Ivan was manic or out of his mind on drugs when he was at James and Amy's house, why does the crime scene not indicate that? There was no evidence of anyone looking for jewelry, um, anything valuable. No drawers were turned open or even open. I mean, the house was very tidy. If Ivan was in a manic episode and he was truly looking for cash and drugs, 
he would have torn that place apart. Amy said that they were in there for 15 to 20 minutes, and yet no drawers were left open? No evidence left behind that anybody was looking for anything. Something is wrong with that story. So what does the counter-argument look like if Ivan has been telling the truth? Well, if Ivan was set up and someone else committed the murders, four separate events must have taken place and we can narrow down potential suspects and the timetable for each. Event number one, the murders. If someone else committed the murders, they would have had a window from 6.30 a.m. until roughly 9.30 a.m. 6.30 a.m. is when Ivan said he last saw Amy Kitchen alive. And 9.30 a.m is when Amy's mother started calling her that morning and got no answer. So if Ivan didn't kill James and Amy Kitchen, then they would have been murdered in that three-hour window. And during those hours, it would have been light outside, which does make attempting the murders at that time more precarious. But what else do we know? No forced entry. So who would have had a key? Frank Perez, the mysterious roommate, who, in a police report, was overheard stating they weren't killed last night, they were killed today. We also know that Frank had... Tell me about the appointment the next morning. That would be November 4th, the day the bodies were found. James and I were to meet up at the office at 9 a.m. because we had to be in Fort Worth by 10. We were signing up some clients that I had newly acquired. When you say signing them up, what do you mean? Whenever somebody buys a house, as I said, there are disclosures and applications that they have to sign an initial and help fill out. Who was supposed to be there at 9 o'clock a.m. on Saturday? Just James and I. We were going to go in his car to the clients or to the agent's office. And you were at the office at 9 o'clock. Was anyone else there? No, ma'am. Did you ever go to Fort Worth? No, we conducted our business over the phone. Phone records from James' mortgage office show only one phone call was made on November 4th. Frank must have made that call. It was made at 9.57 a.m., so right after that three-hour window. The phone call lasted for four minutes and was made to... 817-551. That's your number, correct? That was, that used to be my home phone number. Okay. So, yeah, I see a phone call that was made four minutes on a Saturday. Originally, he said that he was working with a a guy named James Mosqueda. Does that name sound familiar to you at all? No. He said he was getting you guys signed up for a home loan. What mortgage company he used to work for? It would have gone by, I think, AIM at that time, A-I-M. No. Mm-mm. No, no, that's not correct. Were you dealing with any mortgage company? No, I don't think. We, we purchased a house, but uh, I'm trying to remember if 
2001, but uh, uh -huh. I was with another mortgage. What is the name of? The name of this guy who was, who was speaking with you all, I know that he called you for four minutes, but I just don't know, you know. His name was Frank Perez. I think sometimes he went by Francisco Perez. Oh, okay. Uh, I can ask my husband and see if he remembers anything. It's been so long. She called me back after she spoke with her husband. Yes, uh, I did talk to my husband and he said it doesn't sound familiar. Mm -mm, well, no, you, it own, you got a mortgage loan in 2001. So you guys were looking. Yeah, but um, the house I bought it from uh, directly from the owner and I look for my own mortgage, which I know which mortgage uh, was going to be. So I called directly to the mortgage company and, and uh, I worked with them for a month and they did the closing. So uh, mm. there is no possibility that I that I, that that happened. I I don't think so. So you feel like it never happened with another company. Not that you don't remember it, but that you ever got signed up with another company. No, 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 definitely not. He must have gotten your number somewhere because obviously there was a four-minute call made. But uh, yeah, it sounds like that you guys would have never had a a meeting scheduled for Saturday morning or anything. So I'm not sure where he got that from or why he was saying that. Yeah, no, 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 no. So was there another client that Frank and James were supposed to meet with on November 4th? Well, there's no evidence to support that. Like I said, there was only one phone call made out of the office on that Saturday. Sure. He could have used his cell phone, but why would he? He used the office phone for this four-minute call. I wonder if there really ever was a meeting scheduled for that Saturday. If not, Frank had no legitimate reason for being in Dallas that day. And what's always bugged me is James' office was only five minutes from James' house. If Frank was so concerned about James when he didn't pick up the phone, or show up to the office, why didn't Frank just go by James' house and check on him? You'll remember Frank's whereabouts the rest of the day are unknown because... Do you recall yeah. Frank coming up to see you? Uh, no. How certain would you would you be of that? I mean, pretty certain? I'd be all... Yeah, 100%. Because Frank said in his statement, the day the bodies were found, that he came up and saw you. I don't know. Even though that was 20 years ago, you'd be certain of that. Yeah, I just remember receiving a phone call about his death. I don't, I never spoke to Frank. He never came to where I was working now. And you'll also remember Frank said, after I left Bob Thomas Ford and McKinney, I went to the house. I didn't have time to get comfortable when my cell phone rang and I was told. And who was it that you got the phone call from? From a mutual friend of ours, a gentleman by the name of Dino I had just left his office, actually. Yeah, because he says he got the call from you that they were... No, uh -huh. I don't have any hard evidence that Frank had anything to do with the murders. 
but I do find it very suspicious that nothing about Frank's story for that whole day checks out. But we got ahead of ourselves. We were just digging into the first event that must have occurred if Ivan is innocent. Event number two, moving the Corvette. This second event would have happened at 11.15 a.m. when someone else must have been driving James' Corvette and hit that toll just south of Ivan's apartment. Car keys. And he was looking for car keys. And where's the money, he said. And like, he knows where it was the car keys, where it was the uh, things, you know? And so Frank Perez, you heard him say, where's the car keys, where's the money? Uh-huh. Was it Frank who was driving the Corvette? We don't know. But you would think whoever was driving the Corvette, this person would have known that Ivan was driving that Corvette in the early morning hours of November 4th. Otherwise, why plant the Corvette at Ivan's apartment? Which brings us to event number three, planting the evidence in Ivan's apartment. The bloody jeans and socks planted in Ivan's trash can and a box of bullets and James and Amy Kitchen's car keys planted in Ivan's closet. The window for doing that would have been from right after the safety check on November 4th to November 7th, almost three full days. And I've always found it curious that this pre-planned trip to Arkansas to visit Amy's folks happened right in the middle of this time period. It seems like that idea was spurred on by Amy. She was the one throughout the night saying, we have to get to my parents' house. She was the one that got Ivan out of town. So who had a key to their apartment? Well, Amy's brother, Jeff Betcher, lived at that apartment with Ivan and Amy for a week or so. He testified he was already back up in Minnesota around the time of the murders, but we don't know that for sure. And we've also heard the speculation that Anthony had a key to Ivan's apartment because it might have been on a keychain when he was driving the Mustang. Those are the only names we have as possibilities as having a key to pull off event number three. But there may be more names to add to that list once we get into event four. The fourth event would be Amy planting the murder weapon under Tawny's couch cushion. In contemplating that, if Amy was devious enough to plant the murder weapon to frame Ivan, she could have given a copy of the key to anyone to plant the evidence in their apartment. So that leaves the list wide open. Then the question remains, where did Amy get the gun from to plant? Was it Gambino? Did she take one of the guns that Ivan handled in Metal's garage? And if Ivan's telling the truth, then the pizza man would be real. So how does he fit in? It seems this rabbit hole is never ending. But those four events give some perspective of what must have occurred if Ivan did not commit the murders. It would involve multiple players and multiple times planting multiple pieces of evidence. 
It does sound pretty unbelievable. But as Ivan said in episode two, It seems like with this case, we're having to prove the unbelievable. I've looked at this case from every angle I could over the past four years. And amidst all the confusion and all the theories, there may be only one piece of evidence that can truly prove Ivan's guilt or innocence once and for all. And as it turns out, it is a very simple piece of evidence. And we're still missing phone records. The phone records would solve this case. However, in the state of Texas's eyes, this case is already solved. So it's unknown if a court would ever sign off for the telephone records to be released. James and Amy Kitchen's phone records for November 4th were not a part of the case file, which I do find very curious. With those phone records, it could be proven if James or Amy ever made a call or picked up the phone after Ivan's midnight visit. With those phone records, it could be proven if Frank called James' house and cell phone. When James didn't show up at nine o'clock, did you think that was unusual? Very unusual. I kept calling his house and telling him to hurry up, that type of thing. Did you get any answer? Answering machine, both on his voicemail at home and his phone, cell phone. And those phone records would prove if Ivan called Amy Kitchen at 2.30 a.m. to bring back the Mercedes and at 6.30 a.m. to bring back the Corvette. phone records. It seems simple. Makes you wonder why they weren't in the case file to begin with. But until those are available, I've got a little more digging to do. As of right now, there are one or two episodes left before the finale. If you're listening to this in real time, there will be a short break before the final episodes are released. And as always in this case, more twists and turns are imminent. Well, you know, remember when um, I told you that you were either going to have the most incredible exoneration or I was going to (laughs) be declared a disaster if I got this wrong? Yes. I got it wrong, Matt. And I'm... I got to make it right. Next time on Cousins by Blood. final episodes and I know there are people out there with more information about this case now is the time to let me know 
you can call me at 469-382-2004 or email me at cousinsbybloodpodcast at gmail.com. Amy's Statement, read by Pauline Johnson and Claire Seymour. Ivan's Statement, read by Ryan Freed. Frank Perez Testimony, read by Randall Strew. The Defense, read by Tony Scott. The Prosecution, read by Catherine Ganimi Leach. Mixing and Mastering, by Jody Abbott. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned.